Ferris Bueller says, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you'll miss it. You'll miss it. Everything is just a phase. And when we talk about family life, church, family life, you got to understand if you blink, you miss it. Uh, I want you to watch this video. It's three minutes long. You're going to watch a young girl go from babyhood to womanhood in just that amount of time. And if you haven't caught on by now, that's about how long it takes. Uh, watch this. This is probably, probably a three or four Kleenex kind of thing. So if you're prone to cry, we may... You may need hospitalization uh, with, with this. So take a look. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's rough. 
My name is Tim Harris, pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church. Delighted to welcome you, all of you, by audio, video, podcast. We love you. We've just watched in this room a short video you'll find on YouTube called It's Just a Phase by the Orange Group. It literally sh- <laughs> we got grown men with snot in their beards right now, y'all. Uh, <laughs> that's a, it's rough. It is rough. Uh, like I said, Ferris Bueller said, when uh, life moves, that's a pretty fast. If you blink, you miss it. Reggie Joyner says this, when you see how much time you have left, it tends to make you get pretty serious about the time you have now. And you don't have all the time in the world to influence your children. You just simply don't. It's just a phase. It's a phase. It's a very, very short time that you have to influence your children. As a church, it's a very short window of time that we have. If y'all don't quit crying, you're going to make me cry, and it's all over. The video's over. Um, It's a very short period of time that we have to influence this next generation. So I want us to talk briefly this morning about our responsibility in this phase that we have to influence them. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 14. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 14 is where I want us to be. Uh, Turn in your Bibles. Cafe folks, we love you so much. Welcome to you. 2 Timothy 3 verse 14 says this. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it, the word, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. God uses his word to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Back at verse 14, what does it say? You must, say the words, remain faithful. You must remain faithful. You must remain faithful. What is the alternative? If, if I don't remain faithful, what do I become? I, I, I become unfaithful. You must remain faithful. The, the word there means to stand firm, to, to endure. So if I do not stand firm, if I do not endure, I, I become unfaithful. I, I fall away. Now, in a person's life, this is usually never a radical, sudden d- departure from the way you've been taught. It's, it's really not that at all. It's typically more like a, a, a fizzle of faith. It's, it's, a, it's a slow fade. It, it's a drift. Nobody drifts away from the way they were taught, the way they were raised uh, quickly. It's, it's a slow sort of development. And in the case of a lot of people, it happens as we grow. We tend to leave, drift, fall away from the things we were taught. You all know how much I love the beach. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm preaching to you right now, but in my heart, I'm still at the beach. I mean, I, I, I love the ocean. I, I love it. I don't do anything while I'm there. I mean, you would wonder why I love it so much. I, I, I do nothing except lay, you know, on the sand or go lay in the water. In the sand, usually in the morning, afternoon, I, I get a raft of those cheap things that you can buy and blow up. And then I tend to go way out into the ocean so far that it makes Casey nervous, you know, just way out there. And then I just stretch out on one of those floats and I just float. I close my eyes, I bake in the sun and I just float. Now, I mentioned it makes Casey nervous. Why does it make Casey nervous? Understand, while I lay around and do nothing on the beach, Casey stays completely vigilant. You know, she does not close her eyes. She does not sleep. 
She's watching. And why is she watching so carefully? Because her moron husband is out there on the horizon floating on a raft asleep now. Why does that bother her? Because she can watch me drift into Alabama. And that's what happens. Have y'all ever done that? You ever sort of get out on a float and you just sort of forget you fall asleep or you, you don't pay attention? You, you drift. I don't feel myself drifting. Yeah, I, I feel myself just bobbing up and down in the waves and it feels so good. I don't feel myself floating to Alabama. But all of a sudden, I will look up, and I don't recognize anything. I mean, I don't recognize anything. I start looking for my hotel, but I don't see a hotel. I see Alabama. I mean, you know, I have, I have drifted, and I quickly look for markers. I look for some sort of signs, some sort of indication of where I am. That's why sometimes when I'm thinking, I'll memorize the hotel, or I'll look and see what color bathing suit top, you know, bathing suit top that Casey's wearing so I can find her. When I drift, I want to look back up and find something that didn't move. You understand? So when the scripture says you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught, you know they're true. Understand, Paul sort of sets down some markers in Timothy's life here. He recognizes that the tendency for almost any one of us is to drift. So, so here's the thing. As parents, as a church... People need things in their lives that can't be shaken so that they're not shaken when everything else shakes. People need something in their life that does not move so that when they get lost, they'll be able to look back and, and figure out where they are. You understand what I'm saying? As parents, you need to give your kids something that will not move, something that is going to be rooted, something that no matter where they go in life, no matter how far they drift, they'll always be able to find their bearings based on the things that don't move. Your kids need things in their lives that can't be shaken so that they won't be shaken when everything else shakes. Do you understand what I'm saying? So in Paul's mind, in Paul's teaching here, there are basically two things here, two markers, two unmovable objects in, in Timothy's life and in all of our lives if we're blessed. And let's talk about those things. This is what our kids need. You must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they're true for you know you can trust those who taught you. All right. So the very, very first thing, the, the very first thing that Paul mentions here is, is the true people of God. You know who taught you these things. And if you're blessed, you have people in your life who have taught you the word of God and taught you the ways of God. And, and God bless them all through your life. They hadn't moved. Do you have those people? Miss your hands. Do you have people in your life who have been that faithful? People that as long as you've known them, they have followed the Lord, they have taught you the ways of the Lord, and they don't move. This is what Paul says to Timothy here. You know that you've got people. You know the ones who taught you the word, and you can see their lives. I mean, kids need living examples of the word. They don't just need Bible lessons in Sunday school. They need living lessons. They need examples. They need the lives of people that live for Jesus day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And when it comes to your family, you, you want to teach your children the word of God. We're going to talk about that in a moment, but, but just as importantly, your your life, living with you, watching you, listening to the words you speak, paying attention to the way you come and go from work, your life should give your children a front row seat to the power and grace of God. 
You understand? A front row seat. This is why I say that you must live your life on mission and you must take your children along on this adventure of following Jesus. It is not just about getting in the van and coming to church on Sunday. That's part of it. But that's as far as you ever take your kids on, on the journey of faith to church on Sunday. You haven't done your job. That is not your job, just to get them to church on Sunday. They need a front row seat Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They need a front row seat to the power and grace of God. And they should see that in your life, mama, in your life, dad. Paul says, Timothy, you remain faithful because you know the people that taught you the word. No matter what happens in your life, you can remember their example. You can go back and look at them. You can see their lives. Understand, it's that living proof. And in a young person's life, there's going to come a moment when they're going to need some proof, some living proof. There's going to come a moment when they've drifted and they need to look back and find something that hasn't moved. And it ought to be your life, parent. You understand, you need to provide that. As the rest of the world shakes and moves and goes crazy, they need a home that doesn't shake and move and go crazy. When everybody else in the world seems to abandon the Bible and abandon the ways of God, they need parents who do not abandon the ways of God. They need parents that don't move. Understand? They need something solid. And this is what we provide, a front row seat to the power and grace of God every single day. As long as you live and as long as they live. So Paul says, you know the people that taught you. So what Paul is saying is, you need to do for, do for your kids what others did for you. Many of you had parents who took you to church every single Sunday. And you remember that. Some of you didn't like it much, but here you are 40 years later. You understand? So you do for your kids what others did for you. You had parents that took you to church. You had parents that taught you to tithe. You had parents that taught you how to act with the opposite sex. You had parents who tried to teach you something about something. You do for your kids what others did for you. When you went to church, you had Sunday school teachers who were there every single Sunday and lit up like a Christmas tree when you walked in the room. Understand, you need to do that for somebody else's kids right now. You understand? They deserve that too. This is what I mean when I say church and family work together. All my life, I have been drugged. I've had a drug problem. I was drugged to church. Every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, sometimes Thursday night, if I had revival, it was Monday. I mean, I had it for breakfast, lunch, and supper every day of my life. But I'm telling you, when I got to church, I loved it. Because when I got to church, I was met by, by grown-ups and other families who made church a really happy place to be for me. You understand? They, they loved the Lord, and they loved me, and, and they loved my family, and, and we all became like one big family. And see, others have done that for me, and now it's my responsibility to do what others have done for me. This is what Paul is saying. R remember the ones who taught you. You, you understand? You remember that because that's an example you follow now. You, you do for your kids what others did for you. I, I noticed, though. When I said, raise your hand, if you had somebody, a lot of you didn't raise your hands. Last week, I, I talked a bit about my, my parents and the way I was raised. And I, had really, I had really good parents. Most of you know my parents. I have amazing parents. 
And I know some of you, when you, when you hear me preach about family, you think, well, well yeah, <laughs> Pastor Tim, it's easy for you. you. You grew up with it. You, you had church and you had family and you don't know any different. You don't know how I was raised. You don't know my dad. Some of you don't know your dad. Well, it is true that you should do for your kids what others did for you. But sometimes this is true too. You do for your kids what nobody ever did for you. Some of you need to do for your kids what nobody ever did for you. You did not have a dad who loved your mama more than anything else in the world. But your kids could have that. They deserve that, a daddy that loves their mama more than anything in the world. You know, you, you didn't have that. Your kids could have that. They need that. Nobody brought you to church and, and read the Bible to you and taught you to love Jesus. Nobody did that for you. But, but now your kids, they still need to have that. You do that for them. Y'all know what I'm saying? Maybe it's easier to do it when somebody else did it for you, but but still, you, you need to do it. And if nobody else ever did it for you, then then that means that right now, it, with this generation, you're going to change the the story of your family from, from now on. It's going to stop now. It's going to it's going to change now with you, with with, with this generation. You're going to do for your kids what nobody's ever done for kids in this family before. You, you're going to do it. You, you have to do it. Are you listening? You have to do it. You have to find a way. So, Brother Tim, what if I've already messed that up? You know, my kid's 13 years old, and I haven't done this yet. I haven't been a good example. We haven't lived for Christ. I haven't taught them. I haven't lived. What if I've messed it up? Funny you should ask. Funny you should ask. If you've messed it up, then here's the thing. Start over. Start over. I mean, not with new kids. I mean, I mean <laughs> start over. Can we just be really honest today as families and as a church? Messing up and starting over is part of it. Messing up and starting over is part of it. Messing up and starting over is part of the Christian life. Can I say it's maybe the most important part of the Christian life. One hundred percent of our kids will mess up. You know how I know that? One hundred percent of the kids in this church will mess up. I know that because they have parents and one hundred percent of their parents mess up. Messing up and starting over is part of it. So let me say this first about your family. You, you have to make your home a safe place for when kids mess up. 
You have to make your home a safe place for when kids mess up because they're going to mess up. They're going to mess up. And you've got to make your home a safe place for kids to mess up. Again, some of you didn't have that. You had a father who exploded like a bomb, sometimes just randomly. Sometimes if you just spilled something on the couch, I mean, you had this father who just exploded. You can't do that. You have to make your home a safe place for kids because kids mess up. They're going to mess up. And they need to know that it's safe to make a mistake. They need to know that... Failure is not fatal. They need you, mom and dad, to create a place at home where where it's safe to mess up. I I mean, basically this boils down down to to, to one little rule, and and, and it's simply this, and there's no better way to say it. I I think between you and if you're a single mom, you just make this decision. If you're a single dad, you make this decision. If you're a married couple, you make this decision together. Just make sort of a a no-freak-out rule. No freak out rule. In other words, no matter what happens, no matter what our kids do, nobody's going to freak out. We're not going to freak out. This is going to be hard for some of you because you just freak out. Y'all ever see old Seinfeld reruns, George Costanza's parents? You know what I'm talking about? The Costanzas, they go from zero to freak out in like 10 seconds. You know? And some of you are like that. You just freak out. You freak out. Your kid does anything, brings home a C in geometry, and you totally freak out like you never made a C in geometry. You just freak out like the world is over. It's a C. It's a C. Tim Kolovis, one of my friends, his parents used to give him $5 if he could make a C. That's not a joke. He got $5 if he could just make a C. You freak out over a C? Your kid turns Kool-Aid over on the couch and you freak out. It's a couch. It's Kool-Aid. You never spilt Kool-Aid? I mean, if, if, if you freak out over this stuff, you, you, you freak out because your, your child messes up. You, you, you freak out because she spills something in the floor. You, you, you freak out over these things. What are you going to do when she really messes up? What are you going to do? What are you going to do when she really needs help? Because here's the thing. If she finds out that you freak out over every little thing, what's she going to do when suddenly it's a big thing? What's she going to do when she needs to come home and tell you something really, really difficult to say? What's she going to do if she's already learned that every time she messes up, she just becomes the one who messed up and you totally lose it? How's she ever going to come home and, and tell you that she's afraid of what her friends are doing? How's she ever going to come home and t- tell you that she's late? How is she ever going to come home and tell you that she's doubting some things? How is she ever going to come home and tell you that she's not sure about her sexuality? How is she ever going to talk to you about big things? If you freak out over every little thing, you've just got to make your home a safe place for when kids mess up. Because they're going to mess up. You messed up. And I know the fact that you messed up, that the fact that you learned all the lessons the hard way, you want more for your children. You don't want them to make the same mistakes, but they're going to make mistakes. You've just got to make your home a safe place for when they do. Now next, we got to make this church a safe place for when kids mess up. 
Now, if it is hard, think about it. If it's hard to go home and tell your parents what you've done, and there are only two of them, multiply that by 300. And then you begin to remember and realize what it must be like to come back to church after you've messed up. We have to make the church a safe place for when kids mess up. We have to. We have to. As pastor, I am so sick of watching kids reach a certain age and then drop out of church. I'm just sick of hearing about kids who've lost their way out there and they don't know how to come back to church. We have not made our church a safe place for when kids mess up. They don't know how to come back. They don't know how to walk in these doors. They don't know how to face us. And there's something wrong with that. There's something horribly wrong to to be a church that's not a safe place for when kids mess up. Why is that? Why would it be so hard for a kid who messes up to come back in here to us? Because in all of their lives growing up in this church, they don't see it. They don't see people who mess up. Now, I'll tell you all the truth. You are looking at people who mess up. They just hide it really, really well. I remember the story of the prodigal son. Remember what happens? He, he drifts. He ends up in a far away place doing things he never thought he'd do and, and in a place he never thought he'd be. And, and he thought back to a place that never moved. He thought back to a dad, a father, who he knew was going to be the same no matter what. And he, he knew there's a place out there that, that, that no matter what, he could still go home to. And he got up and went home. And what happened when he got there? There was a speech. There was a speech. Was there a speech? I don't remember speech. What was there? A party. What? A party. We don't celebrate sin, y'all. I mean, you know, if Sam Tuggle goes out and, you know, starts one of those mobile meth labs in the back of his car, we're not going to throw him a, a party, y'all. I, I mean, breaking bad, Sam. I mean, we're, we're not going to throw... I mean, I mean, seriously, I mean, you know, I mean, Luke Rice goes out and knocks off a chain of, you know, liquor stores, you know, ain't going to be a party for that. I mean, you know, we don't celebrate that, you know, River builds a bomb in, in the Manly's basement, you know, we don't, we don't celebrate sin, but when a, when a kid who loses her way comes home, we celebrate that. Yeah, you don't make a party for people who sin, but you do celebrate when sinners come home. And the fact is, kids grow up in this church and they never see that. Because we hide our sins really, really well. Or else, if there is a, a sinner in our midst, we freak out. And, and that teaches everybody what happens when your sin becomes public knowledge. The church can't deal with it. The church can't forgive. And you understand that that's not the church we want to be. So maybe it's a church that's just agreeing. No freakouts. I mean, no freakouts. When people mess up with us, we won't freak out. At least not to your face. And we'll. 
but we won't freak out. We'll deal with it because we're a family too. I mean, church is family too. And we will forgive. We will always forgive. Woodburn Baptist Church is a family of Christians that loves and welcomes everyone, even if we're loving and welcoming one of our own children back home. We celebrate that. We celebrate that. So Paul says, uh, remember the people that taught you and, uh, and you know about the word of God. You see, there are two things that don't move, two things that when you drift, you can always come back to because they're not going to move. And first is the true people of God, your family, your church family. But, but second, it's, it's the, the Holy Scriptures. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. The Word of God leads you to salvation. That's what he says. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it, the word, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So very honestly, just understand, God's word will get you saved. That's what, that's what Paul says. But God's word is good for more than just getting you saved. And when it comes to our families at home, first off, recognize that, that you haven't finished your job just when your kid gets saved. Uh, last Sam Hinkson last week and Heather too, I believe, talked about this at the Family Palooza last Sunday night. Uh, you're not finished. Your job is not complete just because you, your kid gets saved and, and baptized. A lot of parents feel at that point that they've done their duty. Their kid's going to heaven, so now let them just live like hell. I mean, it's often the way a lot of parents think, that they don't understand that, that it's a whole lot more than just getting your kids saved. I mean, Paul says that the word of God is, is, is good. It's going to teach you the way of salvation. But then it goes on and on and on about what else it's good for. And basically, it, it's, it's a way of life. It's a way of being in the world. It's inspired by God. It's useful for teaching us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people for every good work. God's word is, is not just a book to read, a book to get saved by. This is a book to live by. You surrender your life to obeying every word that's in these pages. It, it's, it's how you live your life. So as parents understand, it, it's not just the, the little bitty, you know, toy Bible we give kids when, when they're dedicated at, at age one. And, and then somehow that little Bible lives in a drawer and is supposed to transform your kid's life. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work if you do not read it first, parents. And, and then you read it and you teach it and you live it before your children so that this blessed book becomes a blessed way of life for your whole family. Yesterday, I, I preached Mary Pope's funeral. Talk about church and family working together. Mary Pope was my very first Sunday school teacher. <laughs> I don't know why, y'all. I don't understand. I was four or five years old. I called her Wildcat. <laughs> like, I called her, and nobody remembers why. I don't remember why that a four-year-old boy would call a, a woman, like a grown woman. I called her wildcat. I remember her being tall. It was the 70s, so I remember her having this really tall stack of hairdo, too. She had this real tall stack of hairdo. 
I don't remember why I called her Wildcat. But I do remember Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. She was probably the first person to sing that to me. And I remember John 3.16. I learned it in her class. One of the blessings of my life was, was the privilege of being Mary Pope's pastor for the last few years. She was the first Sunday school teacher I would ever know. I was the last pastor she would ever have. She had no idea back in those days that she was training a pastor, training her own pastor for one day. She was a pastor's wife. Her husband was George Pope. She once told me I was the second best preacher she'd ever heard. (laughs) So who's first? I'm thinking Billy Graham, Charles Stanley, George Pope, her husband. Well, the last time she was in the hospital, I visited her, Anna. As I was walking out, Wanda Dobbins was coming in. Wanda's one of our church ladies. And I wanted to introduce Wanda to Mary. They didn't know each other. I was standing at the door, and I just said, Wanda, Wanda Dobbins, this is Mary Pope. Wanda, Mary is one of the godliest, best women that you'll ever meet. I didn't say that to flatter Mary. I said it because... That's the truest thing I could ever say. This is one of the godliest, best women you'll ever know. I'll ever know. I left, which is probably a good thing. Because when everybody else left and the room was empty again, Miriam, Mary's daughter, looked over and Mary Pope was crying. Miriam said, Mama, what's wrong? And Mary said, Tim said I was a good woman. I am not a good woman. Now, first, let me say, if Mary Pope ain't a good woman, ain't nobody good. And that was her point. That was her point. The book of Romans says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That was her point. There, there is none righteous, no, no, not one. John the baptizer pointed at Jesus and said, I must decrease. He must increase. You understand? That was John's way of saying that he just wanted to disappear into Jesus. That John didn't want to live his life in such a way that when he left the room, people were, were talking about him and not talking about Jesus. He just wanted his life to point to Jesus. This is what you want to. Paul says you can trust the word of God because you know the people that taught it to you. In other words, he calls back to mind the memory of those people. Now, why is he calling to mind the memory of people? Because these people won't be in your life forever. Understand? It's it's just a phase. There was a phase of my life where Mary Pope taught me, and then a phase of my life when I was able to preach to her, to, to teach her. But, but now that's over. That relationship is, is gone. I, I have my parents now. It's a phase of my life. I, I, I've preached three funerals this weekend. I've buried other people's mamas. I'll bury my mama one day. 
It's a phase. We don't have each other forever. And so Paul says that that memory, the memory that people leave for you and the memory that you will leave, it matters a great deal. I mean, one day your children are going to think back and remember the way you raised them and taught them. This is what the scripture's pointing to. What will they remember? When they tell your stories, what stories will they tell? Now, I'll tell you one thing, and y'all know this about me. Surely you know this about me. I want to, to lead this church in such a way that, that, man, when we are gone, they're going to have some stories to tell about us. Not us so much. I want them to have stories about how we served God and stories about how we tried great things for God and stories about how God used us. God help us. I don't want them talking about us in that way, but, but I want it to be such a way where there's no way that they could talk about us, no way that they could tell our story without somehow also telling stories about Jesus. I just want my story to just disappear into Jesus's story. And I pray to God that one day that when my son tells stories about me, he'll never be able to finish one of them without also telling the story of Jesus. I just want the story of my life and the story of our family's life to just be this great story about Jesus that we're just characters in. Do you understand? It's just a phase. You all, it's a phase. Which means it's just a really short time that you got your kids at home. I mean, life moves pretty fast. You, 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 you blink, you miss it. If you don't stop and look around, you, you miss it. it. You feel like right now the days are so long with these little ones in, in the house. I mean, if you've changed another diaper, you want to jump out the window. I, I understand. You just have no idea how quickly it all goes by. And in this moment when you have them, in this moment as a church, when we have this generation of children to, to teach and lead and love, let's use our influence to teach them to love the Lord, to teach them to love his word. Let's give them something in their life that will never move so that when they go out in the world, they won't be moved either. There'll be something that stays put for them, our testimony, our witness, the word of God that we've given them. Let's uh, live our lives in such a way where we leave some crazy stories about people who love Jesus more than anything else. Let's Let's leave our kids stories about God and faithfulness and courage that they'll have to stretch to, 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 to live into, to top themselves. Let's just leave our kids something that inspires them to want to love Jesus more and more and more. It's very important that we do this together. Because this time right now with, with the kids, it, it's just a phase. It's just a fake.